Hi, I'm Ariana. And I'm Kaylee. And welcome back to the Unproblematic Podcast. This podcast follows two 20-something Midwest friends who have a lot to say. This podcast talks about life, college, travel, feminism, social justice, relationships, and of course, literature and writing. So come join us on our podcasting journey. In this episode, we're going to be talking about historical fiction. We've all read it, but in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the good and the bad and the limits of the genre and some specific examples of historical fiction that we've read. So diving into our current reads and watches, Ariana, what are you reading and watching? Okay, so the book that I just finished yesterday was Transcendent Kingdom by Yag Yasi, and um, it's about this black girl who lives in Alabama, and she, I mean, she grew up in Alabama, but the book takes place in the past and present, and she's currently, like, in, she's currently in um, California, and she studies mice because she wants to find out, like, she wants to learn more about addiction because her brother died of an addiction to heroin, so she, she has devoted her life's work to finding out, like, like, what addiction truly is and how to like solve it um it was a really good book and um what I'm currently reading now and it goes well with today's uh podcast topic because it is a historical fiction book and um let me just quick read like the front it says voodoo kept her safe but now it might destroy her so pretty much this is Rita Woods's debut novel and it follows three different women one from 1791 Haiti 1857 New Orleans and present-day Cleveland and the three women face different challenges but they're connected in some mysterious way that we have to find out when we read through the book um it flips back and forth through different people's uh perspectives and the writing is really good it's interesting to see the role that um voodoo played um in this book and i'm excited to see where it goes i mean i'm not that far in but so i'm about like 80 pages in but i'm enjoying it so far and yeah i mean i'll keep you guys updated but it's pretty good so far what about you kaylee what are you reading uh so currently i'm reading joan didion's slouching towards bethlehem essays which are really good um i was not prepared for how much i was gonna like those and she just has a really like magnetic voice and it's she's so funny she has a really witty sense of humor she was writing during the 1960s so there are some things that i'm like okay she definitely has the like nostalgic for an er earlier time when like people had more character nonsense like she has a couple things like that but um she like her writing is really really good and she's hilarious so that's been really fun and then i'm reading dune by frank herbert um it's okay. Like, I wasn't, I had never read, like, low sci-fi before. I'd always read kind of, like, high sci-fi, so it was more, like, technical and scientific, I guess. And this is more, like, written mm. like a young adult novel, um, which is a lot more approachable than I thought it was going to be. So it's good. Um, it's definitely, like, sometimes it reads kind of like a telenovela, in my opinion, like a lot of young adult novels do, because there's, you know, like, intrigue and jealousy and, like, a lot of the more like petty dramas that you wouldn't find in a lot of more like literary fiction, but it's, it's like an, it's an interesting read so far. I'm probably like halfway through it. Um, and then speaking of historical fiction, I watched the Da Vinci code for the first time today. Um, and 
like the movie with Tom Hanks. And like I love Tom Hanks, that kind of made the movie worth it. But honestly, like as a Christian, it kind of made me laugh because it it like the conspiracy theory, like I've heard a lot more well-researched conspiracy theories than the one that they put forward in the Da Vinci Code. And um but it is interesting that whole theory about like uh the painting with John and John is actually Mary Magdalene. And then the shape between Jesus and Mary Magdalene is like a chalice and that's the, um, the Holy grail. So that's kind of an interesting theory, but it, I don't know. It seemed a little bit heavy handed. The dialogue was like very stiff and heavy handed. It's like, here is a way to get the writers religious and spiritual wrestling out like in the open between these two characters but it was not very like natural or effortless at all um so uh, that's that brings us to the basis of historical fiction um ariana do you want to yeah definition so i quick want to yeah i'll quick off quick give um the definition of historical fiction and pretty much it is defined as a literary genre in which the plot takes place in a setting that is located in the past. Um, so yeah, like I feel like both of us have read a lot of historical fiction, good and bad. Um, but I think one thing that draws me personally to historical fiction is I like historical fiction that is well-researched, but allows for the author to add personality to the characters because on like on a deeper level because if you when you have a book that is just specifically just just history you don't have as much create I feel like it has less creativity because you can't just add things Mm. but the thing I like about but I think the thing I like about historical fiction is the personalities in which the characters have because obviously like it's historical, so you're not going to know them on a deeper level. Whereas if it's fiction, you have more room to, you know, add what you want. I mean, obviously, it still has to be accurate, but to, but to not as a high, high degree. What about you? Yeah, I like, I mean, I like historical fiction um, in the ways that it sort of makes history seem more human. And at least you start to think about, like, what it may have been like to live during that time, because, like, I read the Dear America series a lot when I was in third grade and I did learn things from that. Like I learned about the Donner party. I learned like, um, like I remember there was this book that followed a girl from Eastern Europe and she spoke Yiddish. And that was the first time I had heard of Yiddish as a language. Um, and it's like a, a hybrid between German and Hebrew. And I wouldn't have known that in third grade had I not read those books, you know? So like, regardless of the accuracy of, like, well, the, you know, the, like, the specific accuracy of everything that happened in those books, it did expose me to, like, times in history that I probably, like, would have just glossed over in my history class at the time, because, like, I was in third grade, you know, like, my teacher wasn't going to spend a lot of time on, like, cannibalism and the Downer Party in third grade, but, like, because I read that book, it kind of gave me, like, an introduction to historical events, um, so I think as an introduction to further research, like even for the reader, they can be really good and like, oh, like I didn't realize this was a thing, you know? Yeah, I I definitely understand where you're coming from, because for me, if I read something in historical fiction, it makes me want to do my own research and learn more about a specific topic. Mm. So it's kind of like just an opening for you to explore more about the topic on which you were reading. Um 
So what are some limits do you think that historical fiction has, Kaylee? Um, like this, I mean, it seems like, I feel like it's kind of a limit of fiction in general, but it's definitely magnified with historical fiction. Um, the thing that like, that sort of makes me like not read as much historical fiction anymore is because of the fact that like, it's not the writer's personal experience that informs it. Um, it's gotta be their research. So if it's someone writing today and they're writing about civil war times, it's their perception of the civil war. And they're going to form that based off of like the documents they've read, the movies they've watched. Like it's going to be a very like, you know, cause you have primary sources, you have secondary sources. It's going to be very, very down the line of like, like secondary sources that the writer is forming their opinion of what's going on. And the only way that they can really like put their personal experience into it is by writing about something that is like common to human nature that can happen in any time period. And I think that's what a lot of writers try to do, but I think it's hard to discern like what, what is a product of the time that you live in and what is something that like every generation goes through, you know? Cause like, for instance, easy genre to pick on, but like historical romance novels, like it's always like the girls wondering like, oh my gosh, does he love me for me? Or does he love me for my dowry? And it's like, I don't really think anyone was wondering that in that time period because like love and freedom and choice were not conceived the same way, especially for women back then. Um, so, and like, I think that's obvious. Like, I think when the writers write those, they're not really going for accuracy to begin with. Um, but it it's kind of shows the limit of the genre where it's like the writer is always kind of broadcasting the views of their time onto a backdrop. And I think that's why I like, like I would rather instead to read something that was written by someone at that time, you know, because like, even though I'll be bringing my own bias as a reader, at least the writer is like writing during that time. It's got to be informed by at least some of their own personal experience, you know? Yeah. Great viewpoint because I think that I think I, I honestly I've never read historical romance um, but that was an interesting take because I also don't think that people were they had other things to worry about during later time periods than <laughs> oh my god does he love me for my money maybe I should go read a historical romance and then I'll con- I can come back with some more um thoughts on that i had in mind like a very specific genre of like christian historical romance so i don't you know that's already kind of a low bar to begin with but i you know like i it's the reason for all those dumb memes that are like oh i wish i was born in a different time period i'm like girl you could not have a bank account until the 1970s like when that my thing is some i i when people say that, I'm like typically like 99.9% of the time they are white when they say that they wish they could live in a different <laughs> time period. Because everybody else is just looking around like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Honestly, it, <laughs> like what was so great? Just because you like milkshakes and diners does not mean <laughs> we you want have... to go back. I was back. just. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is so funny. Yeah, yeah, honestly, for real though. And like, and someone even said that to me at one point. They're like, 
oh, I bet you're just one of those girls who thinks they were born the wrong generation. And the whole reason was because I happened to be wearing baggy pants and playing Joni Mitchell, like, in my car. And I was like, just because I dress like the 1970s doesn't mean I want to live then. Like, I really like a lot of the rights that I have now. And if I could pick a different generation, it'd probably be, like, the future. Like, I don't know if we're all going to be, like, on Mars or something. But... There might be, yeah, more opportunities for women. Maybe we'll go backwards. I don't know. Hard to say. I hope we don't go backwards. Yeah, I was I, I was kind of joking um, with my boyfriend when, like, Trump might have gotten reelected that if, like, Trump dies and then Pence is president, I've got to, like, transfer all my money into his savings account before the government seizes it, like, in The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> but Oh, my God. <laughs> no. But it's okay. Trump wasn't reelected. Um, looks like we're slowly, at least not going backwards. So <laughs> there's that. Um, yeah. All right. So moving on to our next segment, do you want to talk about some of your favorite pieces of historical fiction, Ariana? Yes. So I have mentioned, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned all of these books before. Um, but first, like the first historical um, fiction book was remembrance which i had just talked about um and this one actually just got published this within the last couple months um and i just saw it when i was at target and it caught my attention for me i read a lot of historical fiction that is written by black authors i don't like i don't go out seeking it it just the books just kind of find me so my favorite one i was gifted by my grandmother um y'all know bb and she gave me Cane River by Lolita Tatamy. But the thing I loved about this is that uh, Lolita quit her job to write this book and research her family. It's, this book is on her family. So it's on three generations. Well, I think it's five generations of women in Louisiana um, near Cane River. And it just talks about the daily struggles of what it was like um, before the Civil War. Um, on a Louisiana plantation and the reason that it's fiction because obviously she did research her family like all of the facts on where they lived when they lived all of that stuff is accurate and true but the stuff that's not as accurate is like the personalities and the dialogue between people because obviously it's fiction um, so you don't know what they were saying during those times but just based off of what she found that is what she wrote and it was beautifully written and um I thought she did a great job because I'm just like just imagine doing all that research and finding all about your family and um it was a gut-wrenching book and the next two um were Homegoing and The Vanishing Half which I really enjoyed um and Kaylee and I both read those and Homegoing I saw today at Marshall's for nine dollars and I was so tempted to repurchase it, even though I have a copy. Like, what was I going to do with the second copy? I just wanted it because it was on sale. You know, <laughs> you say that, though, but I, I've bought two copies of Homegoing. And I now don't have either of them because I sent them to friends. So I, you know, uh, you can always you can always get another copy because I need to buy another one now, like for myself. <laughs> I wish I would have known that. I would <laughs> it up because I think you borrowed my copy when we first when you first read it yes yeah and then I 
bought one and then I bought a, I bought one at the Port Huron Library because they were selling it for like 25 cents. So I was like, yeah. Um, and then I found another copy that I bought, but I sent both of them to people. Um, so yeah, I need to pick up another copy. It really is such an amazing book and it follows multiple generations of people started. Um, it starts with like two girls who are half sisters and they don't know that they're half sisters, but one gets put into the slave trade and goes to um, the United States and the other one stays in Ghana and it just kind of follows their um, family lines for multiple generations. And it is so well written, so well written. And it just captivates you and you just sit there when you're reading and you're just like, oh my gosh. And obviously this took a lot of research because it talked about, um, it talked about different tribes um, of people in, uh, in Ghana. And then it talked about like different areas on which people were located in um, the United States from the two girls. And I thought it was well written. She did an amazing job. And it's just one of those books that like, you said, Kaylee, you shared it. My grandma bought like 20 copies and gifted them. I'm serious because I read it. I was reading it when we went to Ghana and I'm so glad I finished it after we had gotten back because I was able to understand where they were when she was talking about different locations. Um, but it's one of those books you have to read with somebody because you have to talk about it. You just can't read it and then just not talk about it. I don't I don't know how one does that. Um, what are your thoughts on that book, Kaylee? Yeah, one of the things I really like about it, too, is, like, like it follows probably, like, nine or ten generations, right? Like, it's, like... It's a, so good. It's a long line of characters. But, but every character is different enough that they're memorable, um, which is something that I think was like like I read another family uh novel that kind of followed like four different generations of a Palestinian family and one of the like pitfalls I feel like it fell into was like some of the characters felt like repeats of like the earlier characters which like makes mm-hmm. sense family that people would bear a resemblance to each other but it was a little bit too like like each generation had like a daughter who was like the religious like not as pretty one and then like a sexy agnostic one like you know so they just sort of fell into like these two different um caricatures almost mm-hmm. of, of like sisters mm-hmm. um but this one it felt like every generation the characters had very different personalities so it was like easy to remember and yeah like you cared about them like like you knew them you know like you she really didn't spend a ton of time with any one specific character, but she did a very good job, like making them endearing and, and making you care about what happens to them. It was almost like every person got two chapters and that was it. Like yeah. you got their story and then you moved on to the next generation and you kind of figure out how they're connected to the last one. Um, but one thing my, that stuck with me that my teacher said, my, one of my um, favorite college professors, I was telling her like, did you read this book? She's like, yeah, I've been read that. And she's like, one thing I didn't like was that when they were talking about coming back to Ghana through, um, what's it called? I'm sorry. I'm blanking right now. The door of no return when they return. Yeah. The main character, one of the main characters is talking about how it's peace and quiet. But when we were there, it really was nothing was quiet. I don't know what sh- that was inaccurate. It was so loud because people are literally out there hanging out because it's right by the beach. First of all, 
is by the beach. So you hear that. And then there's people out there fishing, hanging out, people selling stuff. There was no quiet. So, <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't know that unless you'd actually been there. But that right. was one thing my teacher had said, like, it wasn't actually quiet. And I'm like, you know what? Now that you mention it, it really wasn't quiet. But other than that, it was a great read. And I highly recommend it. What about you, Kaylee? Yeah, I I love that book. Like, I I sent it to two different people because, like, it's... It's like a book that I like, but I also know other people will like. And that's pretty rare because typically I'm like, uh, I don't know, you know, my taste in books is a little weird. So, like, I don't always know if I can, like, send people books that I like. But that one, like, I just know, like, it's magnetic. Um, and, and like what you were saying, Ariana, the reason that I think it's important that, like, that, you know, it should have been noisy at the end is because, like, there are a lot of people selling things. There's a lot of people like using the slave castle as a way to like make money and make a livelihood Mm -hmm. and that can feel kind of irreverent but it's like it's it's one of the ways that like africa is still like bearing the brunt of like post-colonialism like you know so like i think it's important that like that should have been in the book because it shows that like no this isn't over just because like most of west africa are free countries now they're not directly under europe like there's still a lot of vestiges of post-colonialism and like, and the like terrible atrocities that different European countries did that still affects African countries. And like one of the ways that we see that is like the people who are forced to sell things at the slave castle and like use the slave castle to try and support themselves. Um, And yeah. And, and I wish that going I wish that she would have talked a little more about the whole reason they were there was to steal resources and not focus on the whole thing of like sharing Christianity because typically like they just use that as a cover up when in reality they wanted to like steal yeah. natural resources. I think that was kind of like just like not talked about that much in the book. I think it would have been a little more not interesting but a little more helpful for people who didn't have any background knowledge because some people don't understand that it wasn't just that they were just taking people it was so much more than that um and it would have been a I think it would have been nice to just have a little bit of that in the book um right I still recommend it still super good Um, Yeah, because that still is a thing with, like, the nonprofit industrial complex and how, like, a lot of, um, like, organizations that, like, mean well do terrible things to, like, economies of countries in Africa because, like, they're trying to help, you know, but, like, it's clumsy. It's really for their own benefit. Um, And, you know, it's, like, like, the same things that have been happening in the past are still happening now. And I think, you know, if she had included a couple more of those things, especially in modern times, I think that could have been really powerful. But but I think also it, it would have detracted from that family's narrative. And I think that's what she was trying to focus on was like the specific family um, and, and how they were separated and then how they came back together. But yeah, it was a really good book. 
Yeah, I understand. It was I understand. It was completely just about the families because the book is kind of thin. I mean, it would have been a lot thicker if you were going to give the whole history, the whole background of. (laughs) Yeah, it just would have been a lot longer. So, um, I understand. It was really about the families and understanding the characters and how they became the way that they are and how um, generation, how things just transfer from generation to generation, Um, and people just really want a better life. Yeah, and go. This goes into the vanishing half on wanting a quote unquote better life, um, and the vanishing half is by Britt Bennett, and we read this over the summer together. And this book was the first book that I read. I read by Britt Bennett, and it was amazing. Um, I think what captured my attention was I love books. I've said this a million times. I love books that are by that are of multiple generations. But this one captured my attention because it was about a set of twins. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a twin. So I was just, I just couldn't fathom not having a relationship with my twin sister. Mm. You know, like yeah. I just, the book, if you haven't read it, this isn't really a spoiler because like it says on the back that they're like separated by like choice. And I'm like, why would you just abandon your sister just so you could pretend to be white? Mm. Yeah. I, and I, I was reading that and I'm just like, I was heartbroken for not Stella, but um, Desiree. <laughs> not <laughs> Desiree and how their lives were completely different. And it just shows you that even though she was, she ended up marrying like a rich white man, her life was still not perfect because she was literally hiding who she was from her husband. He didn't even know that she was black. And I don't think that you can have a great relationship if you're not completely honest with the person that you're with. Um, and how Desiree was able to find like, um, she had a child and she was able to she found a man who truly loved her for who she was and didn't care about her background and it just shows like money doesn't buy happiness because one had money and one just had like a regular lifestyle and one was obviously happier than the other and it shows a lot about generational generational trauma because Stella passed it down to her daughter she didn't have a relationship with her daughter because she was hiding who she was. And Jude and Desiree had a great relationship because they talked and they actually had things in common and wasn't they weren't closed off to each other. Um, I mean, the book is about so much more than that. It's about colorism in the black community. It's about racism. It's about family. How would you describe it? I mean, I loved it. Um, yeah, we read of, it in like a week. Yeah, it was really quick. It was a good book. Um, but like one of the things that I really like that she explored it, like you were talking about, is like dualism, and and so like twins. Um, the like, she kind of explores it with like gender identity as well with um, Reese, and so kind of like, like 
kind of the gray area of like there not being a binary. So not only in terms of like, you know, the gray area between man and woman, but like the gray area between like black and white um, in terms of race and like, and so there's just a lot of like kind of confronting like the twin aspects of identity um, and, and how those can kind of like merge and separate and mm-hmm. like, and you it- know, it's a spectrum. Like everyone says that, but, but she kind of like explores that with the topics that she covers and it just shows that like everyone has struggles in their lives but you're even when you're going through struggles you're a lot more happy when you are who you were meant to be who you want to be you know what I mean um yeah one of the things that I really like in um this book because it's sort of like a subtle kind of joke I mean it's not a joke but like it's a really cool kind of symbolism is Reese is a photographer and he's also um trans and so when he's telling um, Jude about, like, his identity and where he came from and stuff, he's also in a dark room. So he's, like, experimenting with exposure. And, but he, and then he's also, like, kind of, like, exposing his identity to her as he's, like, exposing his photos. And I just thought that was kind of a cool, like, symbolism that she made them in a dark room when he was, like, having that conversation with her. I don't even remember that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Now I have to reread it. We read this over the summer. Honestly, I loved um, Reese's and Jude's relationship. They were just... They genuinely loved each other and so kind for to each other they would do anything for each other and you know it was i was over there laughing because stella's over here living in this mansion and she's up here lying to her husband and they are i mean they have an okay relationship but it was just like very toxic i mean i don't think that they knew it was toxic toxic but just from the reader's perspective you knew it wasn't a good relationship and then um reese and jude they were open and they had a great relationship. Obviously, every relationship has struggles, but honestly, if you tell the truth and you're a decent human being, it should be okay. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I true. wish I would have picked up on the photography. I, I wish. Right? Is that cool? Like, yes, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dang. Also, so like. <laughs> like with the twin so like like the twin theme there's also twin storylines and then like okay so there's twin storylines in time so there's like a linear duality and then there's also the twin storylines following both sisters so she like really just has fun with like how she tells the story in addition to like the way she tells the story and I feel like she kind of does pick like two places as well that she focuses on it's like either in Los Angeles or in um, Mississippi. Um, no, no. I, it was, it wasn't Mississippi. I, what was the name of the town? I thought it was like a small town in Mississippi. I thought it was Louisiana. No, you're right. It's Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. It's a small town in Louisiana because they go to New Orleans for a small. And it was period. so small. It wasn't even on a map. The yeah. city. Full disclosure, I read that in a New Yorker article. Like that's part of the reason. Oh, I come on. <laughs> like dang she picked up like I read that beforehand and then when I got there I was like "Ooh, this is good wow (laughs) wow I mean I thought you came up with that yourself no no I 
Park article before I read the book because I was I always read New Yorker reviews like before I read the book, which is probably but Jude, bad call, but Jude and Reese were my favorite characters by far, um, and I found Kennedy be Kennedy to be quite annoying. I was just like you were just, oh, just a spoiled brat. Like she felt like the the world owed her something. Like just because she was who she was. And um yeah. yeah, I mean like her ignorance was kind of funny sometimes, but other other times it was just cringy. Like the fact that like she really thought Jude was just there to like wait on her and Jude was trying to get information about her mom. You know, like this It's not about you. It's not about you. Like Yeah, she really thought like she just wanted to like bask in her presence. <laughs> like she's such an idiot. But and I was just up there laughing with Jude because, like, Jude was a medical student. She was no dummy. She knew what she was doing. And you think that a medical student from USC wants to hang out with you just for your money. Man, she's (laughs) going to be a doctor. Excuse me, man. I was just like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He was such a sweetheart. Huh? I'm sorry, it cut out. I loved Reese, too. He's such a sweetheart. I loved him. His character was so well-written. I mean, Britt Bennett, I had never read any of her work before reading this. And I just I just loved Reese's and Jude's relationship. Um, but I am going to read um, Britt Bennett's other book, that is a historical fiction. It's about, it's called The Mothers, and I'm pretty sure it's about multiple generations of women. Cough, cough, I will be reading it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And yes, so our last segment, we're going to get into problematic. Wait, wait. I have Hmm? a question. Can we save this one for the next episode because we wanted to do a whole episode on this? Oh, fine. Okay, fine. We'll close it out. To close it out, (laughs) Rank our top three favorite characters from The Vanishing Half. Our top three? Yeah, in order. Okay. Jude is my number one favorite. Reese is my second favorite. And Easy is my third favorite. Mm. Okay, I think Desiree is actually my favorite. Um, Really? Yes, because... I feel like she goes through the most, but then also learns the most. Like, like she's definitely the, like, like she's kind of the fiery character. Like, she makes the decisions that other people don't agree with. And, and you know, but just because she was struggled. And the whole thing was that when they leave town, Desiree is the one who wants to leave and Stella doesn't. And then Stella's the one who just keeps on running. And never comes back and just completely changes who she is saying her whole family died liar (laughs) yeah yeah so Desiree is my favorite because I feel like you see her grow the most as a character like she goes from being this like like fiery like strong-willed like makes questionable decisions but it's just like you know that like firebrand character and then she still has that spirit at the end but she's like you can tell, like, she's grown up, and she, like, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just... okay, I'll tie her with 
she's a tie <laughs> with Jude because the first half of the book is about her. So I do like those parts. But once Jude got into the character, I mean, not into the character, into the book, I was just like, wow. Like, yeah. and it just shows like strong women produce strong women. So like the reason yeah. that Jude who was who she was was because of her mother. And Kennedy was Kennedy because of her mother also. So I mean, that also works in the other sense too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and dang, Jude is sweet. you know, like, like Jude is just sweet. Like she never has that. I feel like she doesn't have the like, like the fieriness of Desiree. Well, I feel like she's quieter, but she's still like a smart. You know, like she kind of like yeah, she was very smart, but she just yeah was complicit in every aspect of her life, in parenting, in marriage, in I think the in school like the only I don't think she was passionate about anything except for hiding and running who Stella yeah oh yeah no I was saying like like I think Jude is quieter than Desiree but she's still like like as smart you know oh yeah yeah. my favorites are Desiree Jude and then I don't know if it's easy or Reese I don't know which one I like better you can do a tie Okay, do a tie between Izzy and Reese for number three. Because I put a tie up um, with Desiree and Jude. But I liked Izzy because he was, he stepped in as the father figure and was a genuinely nice person. And when her, and we're not going to spoil the whole thing, but like he ends up having to search for her and he lies and save, pretty much saves her life. You know what I mean? Because her first husband was abusive. I forgot about that whole part. You're right. Yeah. He pretty yeah, much saved her life. So yeah. I that <laughs> easy he was funny and I loved how he took care of her mother even though she didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that um aspect too. That was really but, funny towards the end of the book. Yeah, but I mean We'll leave this last section for our next episode because she is right. It does lead into, um, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it. It's going to be a surprise, but it's going to be something (laughs) problematic um, on our next episode. I mean, for us to be called unproblematic, we do talk about a lot of problematic things. That Um, was kind of my thought when we started this. Like, this is a big commitment to call ourselves unproblematic, but here we are. (laughs) I mean... Yeah. Yeah. But problematic was taken already. (laughs) But I. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like no one's completely unproblematic, but you can. The goal is to be as unproblematic as you can because, you know, people do make mistakes and learn from them. Um, But yeah, I like the name of our podcast. It's catchy. just thank you for listening and if you want to give us um some recommendations for books or just give us suggestions on what you want us to talk about you can dm either of us um my instagram is at a.j.reads um and then kaylee's is lit nonsense so you know if you want to reach out go right ahead um 
and we will be back in a few weeks with our other podcast episodes. I'm so excited for that one. I'm so excited. Yes, it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be very problematic. We'll live up to our name. (laughs) We're not going to be problematic. We're going to be talking about things that are problematic. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But thank you so much for listening to our episode. We'll be back soon. Peace.